I read aloud. This is God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who has a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? John 10 verses 1 through 21. Let's pray together and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for this time, which we may gather together in your presence to give you the worship and adoration of our hearts and now to receive your word. Give us those good soil hearts, soft. The seed goes in easily and deeply and bears fruit for everlasting life. And we pray to you, Father, that this may be a day of salvation for, for people who are far from Jesus Christ and a day of growing and sanctification for those who are in the Lord. We ask for all of this in the name of Jesus, amen. So I want you to notice and picture the, the scene and the characters. So there's a scene here and there are it's quite a complex group of characters. So let's identify them. What, what's the scene? Maybe if we're up in a drone and we're looking down, we see 
four stone walls, and they're probably square. And inside of those stone walls, there's sheep. And standing in the gate, there's a guy, but now I'm getting into the characters already. The scene is pretty much four stone walls. There's an opening on one side. That's where sheep and shepherds may go in and out. And there's sheep inside of there. That's the scene. And who are the characters? Well, there, there's a lot of characters. So, so there's the shepherd of the sheep, of course. And then back in the back, sneaking in over the wall, not coming in through the door, there are thieves and robbers who come to steal and kill and destroy. And then there's also the gatekeeper, and then there are several different flocks of sheep in there and several different shepherds outside, and when they call their flock, their flock comes because their flock knows their voice. And then there is a stranger who comes and calls to them. They don't answer the stranger. Then there are hired hands. They flee when the wolves show up because they don't really care about the sheep, and they say, I'm not making enough money to risk my life for these sheep, this guy's sheep, this guy's sheep. And so they flee, there are those, there are wolves, and finally there are other sheep in another fold, that's most of us who are here, Gentiles, them also I must bring in. So I tried to imagine what, what this might have been like for them. Everybody knew this scene, and everybody knew these characters. Probably immediately, as soon as they started hearing the story, they were all like, oh, I like this, this is about sheep. We're in the sheep. This is about shepherds and thieves and all. Oh, this is really awesome. So Jesus tells them a story from a very well-known thing in their day. And I tried to think, what if it was today? What, what could the story be? And I thought of different options. Like, what have we all done? What do we share in common? And the first thought I had was, well, we all go to the dentist. That's probably not a very good example. Let's see. We, we all go to the MVA. That's a horrible example. Um, we all go to Walmart or Target. Uh, that's maybe a little bit better example. What, what do we have? We all went to school. That might be a pretty good example. But I, I never really did come up with a good example. Uh, Wawa, Royal Farms. I just didn't know. Does anyone here, you're welcome to speak. Name it. Do you have a good example? What would we have in our day that we'd all picture and we'd all understand? Is there anything like this? Television, Television <laughs> maybe. <laughs> A baseball game, a football game maybe? I don't know. They had sheep, and they knew sheep. And so this means a lot to these people, and they understood the characters, and they understood the settings. Now, it's a challenge preaching through John chapter 10 because it's one setting, it's one time, and Jesus repeats and repeats. Some things come up six different times. Other things come up four times. Other things come up three times. So if you preach through the first time you hit that one thing, you've got to preach about it, and then you've got to preach about it five more times. And that does not a good sermon or a good sermon series make. So I deemed it better. Some of you won't like this. I'm sorry. Rather than going verse by verse, I've arranged the whole thing topically. We'll take topic number one, look at the six verses where it's found, and then draw things out of it for our lives. Sound all right? You okay with that? All right, so we're ready to do. I've identified 11 major teachings of Jesus Christ in this chapter, and we're going to identify the teaching, state it, read the verses about it, and then exposit them, hopefully, for the good of our souls. By the way, I want to encourage you, you probably be better in this. I'm not putting up any Scripture verses again until the very end of the sermon. I just want to keep up. Slide woman. It's a slide woman today. Slide, I always say slide man. Slide woman. Um, I'd like to keep, like, number one up the whole time I'm talking about number one and so on. Thank you. All right.
So number one, here's the first thing we're identifying, maybe one of the most important things in the whole chapter, number one, there are people who would damage your soul and you must flee them. That's one of the main things Jesus is teaching in this chapter. He does it again and again and again, as we're going to see. There are people in this world who would damage your soul. You must identify them and stay away. You must identify them and flee them. Well, who are we talking about? How does Jesus identify them in his day? What kind of damage might they bring? Let's look at the verses. So verse one, and now you need your Bible. You need your app. Grab the Pew Bible. You're going to have to look at your own today. Sorry, this is a different series in a different setting. I want to keep the headings up. You need a Bible. I should have forewarned you a week ago. All right. So where do we see that there are people who would damage our soul and we must flee them? Well, it's in verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. There are thieves and there are robbers in this world who want to steal from you and rob from you. They want to steal your relationship with Jesus Christ away. They want to take it away. They want to thief your soul. They want to rob you of blessing in Jesus Christ. There are those people on this planet. That's what they're here for. That's what they do. We see them again in verse 5. A stranger, they, the sheep, will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. There are strangers in the world, and you don't want to follow them. You want to be able to say, wait a minute, that's a strange voice. That's not Jesus' voice. That's not the word of God I'm hearing. I'm discerning. They're not going to thieve me away. I don't listen to, I don't follow the strangers. Again, in verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. You want to be like those sheep. There are thieves and there are robbers. They would rob you of your joy in Christ. They would rob you of following and growing in Jesus Christ. You must not listen to them. And then again in verse 10, and here we see some of the damage too. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So there are thieves in this world who want to steal from you, who want to kill you, kill your soul, and who want to destroy you so that you go to hell and not to heaven. Again, in verse 12, this shows up. It's a major theme. He who is a hired hand, there are hired hands in this world, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. They seize the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and fleas, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. There's some of the danger. There's some of the damage. You might be snatched. You might be scattered away from the fold of Jesus Christ and away from Jesus, the good shepherd. Again, it comes up in verse 13. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. There are people who have, want to have influence over you because they want a following. They want your contributions, but they don't really care about you. They care about themselves. So in this story, those are the people Jesus identifies as the people who would damage your soul. He's preaching to these people about them. He wants to make an impression on them. Here you are on the planet. You got to beware. There are people who want to bring harm to your life and bring harm to your soul. You got to be able to identify them. You got to be able to stay away from their influence. But who's he referring to? Well, in his day, this entire thing flows out of John chapter 9. So let me just describe to you briefly what happens in John chapter 9 that produces this whole thing about dangerous people. In John chapter 9, 
Jesus actually heals a man who had been born blind. And you would think that everybody is rejoicing about that, but some people are grumpy and are not happy. They are called the scribes and the Pharisees. You did this on the Sabbath. This is wrong. You can't be from God. They interview the guy. Did he heal you? The guy says, oh, yeah, he healed me. They interview the parents. Is this your son? Yeah, that's our son. He let him speak for himself. We don't want to get dragged into this. They go back and interview the guy again. Did he heal you? And he mocks them. This is pretty cool. He, he mocks the Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, and said, well, this is really something. Nobody's ever healed a man's eyes before on the planet, and you don't know who he is, and you don't know here, and you're the religious leaders. They cast him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. They said, you're now a social pariah, but it was all right, because he had now had Jesus as his great shepherd. But this is the setting. So that had just happened, and now Jesus speaks to the people and says, let me teach you from this. There are people on this planet, and he was referring to the scribes and the Pharisees of chapter 9. There are religious leaders in particular who will do damage to your soul, who will lead you away from Christ, who will take you captive to worldly philosophies and evil doctrines. And so that's what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching that the danger is these scribes, these Pharisees, these clerical people, these religious leaders are the people of verse 10. They are the thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So isn't it amazing? The very people that God had set up in Israel to be the watchmen, to see the Messiah coming, to welcome him, to embrace him, to call all the people to him. Those very people instead were thieves who came only to steal and kill and destroy. We want a following. We want to stay right with Rome so we can keep our position. We like the money we're making. We like the authority that we have. We want to hang on to this. We don't like this Jesus. He threatens our whole thing. And that's why Jesus says everything in John chapter 10, it all came out of those scribes and Pharisees in chapter 9. Just again, to see how dangerous religious leading people can be, I'm going to jump over to Matthew 23, 13. Just listen. This is where Jesus pronounces woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And there's a whole series of woes. I'm going to read you just two of them. Matthew 23, 13. This is Jesus to the best Jewish leaders of his day. Best in quotes. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. They were dangerous people. They were thieving people's souls. And again, Matthew 23, 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he has become a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. These were the religious leaders in Israel. These were the religious leaders in Jesus' day. Woe to you, hypocrites. You're bringing people's souls into eternal danger. So in their day and in Jesus' story, those are the people Jesus warns about, the very people who were supposed to be leading the nation to Christ, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, and Jesus basically says, look, watch out for them, they'll land you in hell. Well, what about in our day? 
This is one of the big points in the parable. There, there are thieves who are out thieving for your soul. What about in our day? Are there any thieves? Is there anybody, if Jesus was here today, would he say woe to them and identify them as thieves and robbers? All right, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here when I say, well, have you heard of the Mormon church? Have you heard of the Jehovah's Witnesses? Woe to them. Have you heard of the church in Rome? I believe there are people who are saved in the church in Rome. They're saved in spite of the doctrine. They're saved because they maybe don't even know the doctrine because there's no doctrine ever taught, but they love Jesus Christ. I believe that. But the doctrine of the church, woe to them. Have you heard of this thing called the liberal church? They're the ones who slice and dice and smorgasbord the Bible, and I like this part, and I don't like that part. And I like this, I'll take two of these, but I don't want one of those. Have you heard of them? Have you heard of progressive Christianity? That's the current version of the liberal church. It's just age-old liberalism. It's not progressive, and it's not Christianity. Woe to them. And many others could be named, but that's not my point to try and cover all the bases. In our day, there are many thieves and robbers and hired hands who are out angling for your support, angling for your interest, and they would do damage to your soul. We could even leave for a moment religious leaders. They're the main thrust of this whole thing, but we could even leave for the moment. We're talking about people who might damage your soul. What about Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, where he simply says, bad company corrupts good morals. Read it again. Bad company corrupts good morals. And if they're strong in their badness and you're weak in Christ, they're going to do you harm. Yes, you spend time with them if you're doing it from a position of strength, and you're going to draw them to Christ, and they're not going to move you one inch away from Christ. But beware if they're strong, and you, beware if you feel like, I need them psychologically, I need them socially, I need them. That's a danger. It needs to be, they need me. I'll be there for them and shine Christ's life into their lives. Bad company corrupts good morals. And there are people who aren't religious leaders, but they are people who would damage your soul. And you must flee them. Amen? That was lame. Amen? All right, thank you. So watch out for thieves and robbers that might be in your life. And what are we supposed to do about them? Well, I said flee. Where did I get that? Verse 5. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. They know the voice of Christ, but they don't know the voice of a stranger. When a stranger stands in the gate and says, come here, little sheepy, sheepy, they run to the other end. They flee. And so that's the thing Jesus is calling people to do with these scribes and Pharisees. Flee them. That's what Jesus is calling you to do from anybody who might be a bad influence in your following of Jesus Christ. Flee if you want heaven and you do not want hell. Flee if you want to follow Christ and not the world. Flee if you want what is righteous and not what is evil. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to have to flee some thieves and some robbers. Paul says the same thing over in 1 Timothy 6. I'll jump over there for a second. After a long teaching about false teachers and their teachings, he says to Timothy, but you, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, and so on. Flee. One important part of the Christian life Jesus teaches us, one important part of the Christian life Paul teaches us is fleeing. Do you know how to flee? 
Do you know when to flee? Do you know what to flee? Man, this thing, these people, they're starting to get a grip on my heart. They're starting to captivate my thoughts, take them captive, not to obedience. I'd better flee. I better go have some really godly fellowship with some brothers and sisters in Christ right now because they'll strengthen me and build me up. So there are people who would damage your soul and you must flee them. Here's a question for you. Are you identifying the bad influences coming into your life and are you fleeing them? It might be bad books, it might be bad movies, it might be bad World Wide Web, it might be bad YouTube. There are people who would damage your soul and you must flee them. That's in the chapter. Here's the second thing. Took longer on that one than some of the others. Here's the second thing. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd whom you must follow. And notice the contrast between flee and follow. Flee them, follow him. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd whom you must follow. Where do we find that he's the good shepherd? Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He doesn't just say, I'm a shepherd. He says, I am a good one. He doesn't just say, I am a good one. He says, I am the good one. There's only one good shepherd in the whole story, and he's the Lord Jesus. He's a good shepherd. You want him guiding and overseeing your soul. And he says it again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Christ is the good shepherd. Where does it say you must follow him? Well, back in verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Following comes up again in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them everlasting life. So Jesus Christ is the good shepherd in John chapter 10, whom you, whom we must follow. He is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Now there's about a million ways we could describe Jesus as the good shepherd. There's about a million ways we could illustrate that or exemplify that. And I wrote down maybe 15 of them. And then this morning, I don't know what happened. I just thought, wait a minute, I'll just skip all those. Let's just do Psalm 23. Psalm 23 tells us how he's the good shepherd, and I've got it here, so I'll get it in the ESV, all right? But, all right, go with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, what are the benefits of having him as your shepherd? Is he a good shepherd? Finish it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. Here we go. I shall not want. So when I have Jesus Christ as my good shepherd, I'm not down here saying, yeah, but there's so many things lacking in this. He's not giving me this, and he's not providing that, and I have all these wants, and I have all these needs for my soul. No, no, Jesus is a good shepherd. In him I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in, finish it with me, green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Well, that's a pretty good shepherd. I want that shepherd for my life. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And now, uh-oh, I'm going through a dark time in life. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what am I going to do in there? Well, I have a good shepherd, and I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He's always with you, a very present help in times of trouble. And then even his rod and his staff. Now, you know what the shepherd's rod is, right? That's a stick. And he would use the stick maybe to smack at a wolf, but more likely he'd use the stick to smack at you, one of his sheep. 
when you're not going where you're supposed to go, just a gentle tap or maybe a whack on the rump, and you go back in there. What's the staff? You remember the shepherd's staff. It usually had that crook on the top. And what would he do with that? Well, he would hook you if you're getting a little farther away and like around your neck and bring you back into the fold. And the psalmist says, even those, even his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Why? Because I know he's keeping me from the wolves, because I know he's shepherding my soul, because I know he's leading me in paths of righteousness. Even when God has to give me a little I'm comforted by it. And then verse 5, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Here I am, i got enemies trying to get at me, and he makes me a feast. That's a good shepherd. He anoints my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Oh, that's good to know. He's a merciful shepherd. So when I mess up, he doesn't say, that's it, I'm done with you. No, he's merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth. He's a good shepherd that will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus Christ is good at being a good shepherd. What do you think? On a scale of 1 to 10, is Jesus a good shepherd? Is he a 3? Is he a 9? Is he a 10? I think he's a million, right? Uh, he is the good shepherd. Some of you are maybe not Christians. We're so glad you're here and you're hearing about this from God's Word. And maybe one of the things you're thinking is, well, I should look into this Christian faith. I'll just show up at Cornerstone Church today and just see what do I think about the whole church thing, because I know that would be part of it. If I begin to follow Christ, I know they'll tell me you got to be in church. I better go check out church. And, and you're wondering, what would, what would Jesus do for me if I believe on him? Well, he'll forgive all your trespasses. And he'll cover all your sins with his precious blood. And he'll give you everlasting life freely if you call upon his name. But he will also become the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And he's a good shepherd. All right, this better be a good amen. Cornerstone believers, is Jesus Christ a good shepherd in your soul? Yeah, amen. You want him. Does anybody here who has him as shepherd want to, I don't want him shepherd anymore. I'm going to go back to the world. That was better. Anybody? No. Wild horses couldn't drag me back, right? Jesus is a good shepherd. And we want to follow him again. Verse 4, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. And we want to follow him again. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Here's the point. Jesus' sheep always, always, always follow him. Always, every one of them. Very imperfectly, falteringly, with many, we could call them mistakes, but they're probably sins, with much repentance and sorrow, but he gives grace. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we follow him. Leaving sheep and going to cats for a minute. Thought some of you cat lovers might like a cat story. You know cats will follow you? They really will. They're such independent creatures. But look, my mom and dad, my dad's 95, and I'm not allowed to tell you my mom's age, but she's younger. And they have two feral cats. The cats will hardly let you be around them, but they live in their house. And when I go there, they just scram and hide. They don't want anything to do with anybody else. But my dad takes them on walks. And so these, these two little feral cats, he'll walk down the road, and they're just following him along like they're his little sheep. 
They follow him. And I might just make a metaphor out of this and say, Jesus found us. We were all feral cats. He brought us into his family. He brought us into the fold. He tamed our wild passions. And we follow him. Other passages, not only here, talk about how all believers follow Christ. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's only those who follow him who are not walking in darkness. And Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. Or again, Luke 18, 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. What do all of Jesus' sheep do? They follow him, again, imperfectly, falteringly. Sometimes they might even wander away from the fold for a little bit, and his rod and staff has to bring them back. But they follow him, feral cats, saved by the grace of God. So this is the Christian life. You want to summarize what you have to do as a Christian? You follow Jesus Christ. Where he leads you, you follow. That's a good old song, too, by the way. How many of you know that? Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. I want to know how many of you knew that one. Ah, more than I thought. Younger than I thought. That's pretty good. So we follow. In other words, you can't pray somebody's prayer, somebody's salvation prayer, and then ignore Jesus Christ and follow the world and the flesh and the devil and think you're going to heaven. You can't take his free salvation, but sorry, Jesus, I have no interest in following you. No, blood-bought redeemers are regenerated believers, and out of the new loves in their new hearts, they follow and love Jesus Christ. So that's our second point out of the passage. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd whom you must and in whom, whom you will follow. Here's the third point out of the passage we're going to look at. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. Where do we see that? Well, we see it in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It comes up again in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It comes up again in verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. It comes up again in verse 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. There's a lot in here about Jesus laying down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So let's think of it this way first. Jesus laid down his own life. That is to say, no one took it from him, right? 
The Roman soldiers did not take his life. The cross did not take his life. The spear in his side did not take his life. You remember what happened after he had borne the weight of the guilt and the sin of all the world and suffered the Father's wrath. He uttered that, it's one Greek word, tetelestai, which means it is finished, three English words. And after he had paid the price for our redemption, after atonement had been made, after the Father's wrath was satisfied, he said it is finished, and what comes next? And he gave up his spirit. The cross didn't kill him. The spear didn't kill him. Jesus died of his own accord. And that's what he's telling us here. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, verse 18, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus Christ was a sovereign, authoritative Savior the entire week of passion, the entire time on the cross. He was in charge. He had authority. He was in control. He laid it down, and three days later, he took it up, raised himself from the dead because he had life in him. So Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. But now I want you to notice, for whom? And the text is very specific. In, in John chapter 10, I want you to notice, for whom does Jesus lay down his life? He says it multiple, multiple times. There can be no, uh, no getting it wrong here. Jesus says, again, look at verse 11, I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, there's something here that you might not be noticing. There's something here you might be, not be thinking about. You might not be observing. It's often overlooked. There's something here you might be staring right at but not seeing it. It's kind of like, and I'm going to illustrate what happens to us sometimes when we're reading the Bible, and we're used to seeing it from one way, and we don't see the other way that's also there. And it's kind of like one of these ambiguous images, like a famous one is the duck-rabbit one. Have you seen that? I think we have that image. Do we slide, woman? Duck rabbit, there it is. Is that a duck or a rabbit? Well, it depends. Depends on which way you're looking at it. If I look at it one way, there's a rabbit. He's looking to my right. There's a duck. He's looking to my left. Is that a duck or a rabbit? There's a thing like that happening in John chapter 10. Back to the previous slide, please. Slide lady, thank you. When Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep... When he went to the cruel cross, he died for whom? Other passages say for the world, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the world. But here Jesus is more narrow and more specific, and he says, actually, I'm laying down my life for the sheep. So which is it? We want to interpret both kinds of passages in a way that is fair to the passages. We want to treat the world passages right, and we want to treat the sheep passages right, and we can't ignore one to try and save the other. So Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, who are the sheep? This is where I'm going to take you. Can you stay with me? Everybody say yes. Thank you. That was helpful. That was a very good yes. So I'm going to take you back in your thoughts to John chapter 6. And Jesus has already, already identified people on the earth who are the ones who will infallibly come to him because the Father gave them to him. They are the ones in chapter 6 who will look on the Son and believe. They are the ones in chapter 6 who are drawn by the Father, who are taught by the Father. They can come because, chapter 6, they have it granted to them by the Father. Now here in chapter 10, they, those people were identified as sheep. 
And in chapter 10, they are the ones who will hear his voice, who will listen to his voice, who will know his voice, who will know him, who will follow him. They're the ones to whom Jesus gives eternal life. They're the ones who will never perish. No one will pluck them out of his hand. And in verse 16, a cool verse for us Gentiles, most of us, he has other sheep that he must bring them. They will listen to his voice. There's definiteness in that. So in John chapter 10, when Jesus talks about his death on Calvary's cross, he's more narrow than some other passages, and he's more specific than some other passages, and he says, I'm laying down my life for the sheep. And who are the sheep? They are believers. So how have theologians handled the world passages and the sheep-only passages down through the years? There are other passages. There, Paul does a similar thing, for example, in Ephesians Five, where he says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, I thought he gave himself for the world. Yes, that's over in First John. But over here, it's the church. It's, it's for her. And here it's for the sheep, those who will listen to my voice. I lay my life down for them in a specific way. So here's how theologians have dealt with this. Christ's death on the cross, his atoning sacrifice, was sufficient for all but efficient for believers, right? Otherwise, you have everybody being saved. If it's efficient for everybody, everybody's going to come to Christ. Everybody's going to hear it. We know that's not true. So it was sufficient for all. Like if God decided to add three more today to the number of those being saved, he wouldn't have to send Jesus back to the cross for a few more seconds. No, his one-time sacrifice on Calvary's cross was sufficient to redeem all people ever, but it's only going to be efficient. It's only going to actually be applied to those who hear his voice. And Jesus says, I must bring them, and they will listen to my voice. Jesus is not up in heaven saying, man, I've done everything I can do, and I just hope some will believe down there. He's not a weak Savior. He's not a disappointed Savior. He's not a, well, I didn't do a very good job Savior. No, he laid down his life for the sheep, and every one of them will come bah, following him and hearing his voice. Jesus laid down his life for his sheep. Why is this important? I started hinting at it, and I want to say it again. Our Lord Jesus Christ is not a failure. He's not trying to do something, but not doing a very good job of it. No, he's God. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's any other omni and every other uh, characteristic of God you want to throw in there. Jesus Christ is doing a perfect job, exactly what the Father sent him to do. He always does the will of the Father. He is accomplishing the Father's good pleasure. Jesus Christ is a 100% victorious Savior. The will of the Father prospers in his hand. Let me show you that from Isaiah 53. You don't need to turn there. I'll read them for you. Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 11. Listen for the victory. Listen for the prosperity of Jesus on his mission. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. That's the resurrection. He shall prolong his days. That's the resurrection. Now listen to this. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. 
Jesus is at the right hand of the Father with all authority given to him in heaven and earth, and he's not a disappointed Savior. He's not, oh, wish I could somehow just figure out a way to do more, Savior. No, he is seeing and he is satisfied, and he has accomplished all the Father's purpose and all the the Father's will. That's why he was able to say on the cross, it is finished. It's not like there's more he needs to do now because, look, it's not being effectual. No, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who lays down his life in a specific way for the sheep, and every one of them will come. None shall be lost. He won't cast any out. All right, I was hoping to get to number four. I'll give you a peek at it. I have 34 seconds left on the, on the clock. But next is Jesus' sheep hear and respond to his voice, especially verse 14, of course, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I give unto them everlasting life. So, I'll skip down to the end of my manuscript. There we are. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd, and all of his sheep love him and follow him. And I want to ask you a question. Are you one of them? Are you, by God's grace, one of Jesus' sheep? Have you turned from following the world to him that you might follow Jesus Christ? Lord Jesus, I want you to be my God and Savior. I will gladly follow you because God has turned my heart to you. Has God turned your heart? Have you heard the voice of the good shepherd speaking through his word and the gospel in your soul? Are you one of those sheep that hears his voice and comes and says, yes, Lord, I hear your voice, I believe, and I follow. He gives everlasting life to all his sheep. He's a good shepherd. I hope and I pray you will all come to Jesus Christ. Let's bow and pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word today. And we do ask that people who hear this message in the building and out of the building, and we're going to pray at the same time for our young ones who are downstairs and the teachers laboring for their souls. We pray, Father, that people in this room would turn now and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and find life. Lord Jesus, please save me. I'm a sinner. You're a Savior. I need you. Please, by your grace, forgive me my sins. I turn to follow you. Father, you know many of us have done that, and though we are weak and faltering, and though we make many mistakes and fall into sins, thank you that by your grace you keep us, and we persevere, and we look forward to being in Christ at the last day and then forever in glory, and we pray for all in the name of Jesus, amen.